Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Soccer Show and our Champions League Match Day 3 review. Today we're talking about Newcastle's rain-sodden loss to Dortmund, Man United's Hoyland family reunion, a big win for PSG, a feisty one at Celtic, Jude Bellingham doing (laughs) Jude Bellingham things, and much, much more. Joining me, my name's Ryan Bailey, by the way, and joining me to talk about those things, and much, 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 much more, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, I'm now frantically Googling. Was Yoda at that game? Is that what went on? Yes. Fictional <laughs> yes, character Yoda and... was at that there game. There we go. <laughs> That's all I got. That's all there I got go. this morning. Well done, sir. Well done. Uh, jo- <laughs> joining us also, Graham Rusman. Hello, Graham. Hello, Ryan Bailey. How are you? Or Yoda? Are, are, are we calling you Yoda now? Is that your alter ego? Yep. You can call me whatever you like, uh, Graham. That's fine by me. I'm doing well. Thank you very much. I like Star Wars now, so I even do voices in the podcast. Hey, how about me? Great. Yeah. How many Star Wars voices can you do? Do Jar Jar Banks, I dare you. Do Jar Jar Banks. Uh, joining us also, Joe yeah. Lowry. Hello, Thank Joe. You. Thank you. I was, was going to request Chewbacca. <laughs> do you have a Chewbacca in your locker, Ryan? Hang on, let me try. <laughs> That's quite good. Is that it? That's not Graham, that was, that was not good. Wasn't it? Uh, I, I haven't was, seen Star Wars in a while. I've forgotten was, what Chewbacca sounds like. It was a good rolling of your R's, I guess, which is sort of half the battle. I don't know. I didn't get the full Wookiee, but it Ryan, was, I, respect you, I respect the effort. Well done. I tried Chewbacca it. doing a drum roll. It sounded a bit like what, that video that did the rounds when they like recut certain scenes from Star Wars, but they just used Cardi B sounds as the sound sound effects, <laughs> and that, that's what that sounded like to me. What Ryan just did. What is a Cardi B sound? Oh, like, like none oh, of us oh, are gonna do I'm it. I'm not even so. gonna try. I'm nope. not even gonna try. <laughs> okay, you can Very Google, well. Ryan. You can Google. Google I shall, Joe, uh, but not before we talk about the Champions League action. And before we do that, just a quick reminder, listener, patreon.com slash Show if you'd like to access our bonus content and support the show. We have bonus episodes, we've got videos on there, and access to our Discord. All the cool kids are there talking about Champions League and much, much more. Shall we go, Mr. Rockwell, mm. to Group F? Why don't we start off? With uh, PSG's 3-0 win over AC Milan, Kylian Mbappe, oh, uh, Colomani and uh, Lee Kang-in getting the goals for PSG in this one. Mike Mannion back in goal for Milan. Uh, not the most auspicious return to goal for him. Uh-uh. Milan failed to score in five consecutive Champions League games now. A boy. And that's bad? You, you um, want to score? Yeah, that's bad. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, this was disappointing. I think from an American perspective, I was pretty excited to see Musa and Pulisic both start. I did not think Musa would start. He looked pretty gassed after they were down to the 10 men uh, against Juve at the weekend. So that he did made me excited because it felt like, okay, he's becoming a more important player to this Milan team. And I also felt like he was being asked to do several different things at once, which again, I think shows the faith Pioli might have in him. Specifically, I saw him starting on the left side of a midfield three, but then Teo Hernandez, nominally Milan's left back, but also their left winger slash left striker on occasion, would get forward, and it felt like Musa was the one responsible for patrolling that area, sometimes sliding over and almost uh, doubling up on the defensive side out wide, and yet still having to move centrally uh, and cut out passes and do his defensive job there. I thought in the first 30 minutes he looked confident and capable on the ball if not particularly sharp uh but but good enough but then Mbappe scores that goal and it felt like Milan were just sort of out of sorts from that moment on the second goal especially I don't know what they were doing I don't know why they all just decided like oh they're gonna take 30 minutes to take this corner kick so we can all adjust our shin pads and retie our shoes and have a even chat. Oh, they scored it was pretty weird how that goal happened but I thought it was at least reassuring that Musa and Pulisic both started, even if neither one had the strongest of performances. Yeah, that second goal, Taylor, was completely bizarre. I counted yeah. at least four Milan defenders just 
utterly static in the box as they're watching PSG score to put the, the game out of sight. I thought it was a really uneven performance from Milan um, in general in terms of their approach because in the first half, I thought they were they were actually quite proactive in their pressing. They were trying to deny PSG time and space on the ball and, and it worked to a certain extent. But then they completely fell out of the game in the second half and I thought their attacking game plan was was pretty predictable. I thought Pulisic was good. He was for for me. He was Milan's best player, and there were a couple of good dribbles through the center of the pitch. There was a particularly good one in the second half to set up Rafael Leao for a, a near post shot that didn't come to anything. I think it goes into the side netting, but nonetheless, it was it was good from Pulisic. But other than that, Milan's attack was too reliant on Leao producing something out of nowhere or having Pulisic drive through the middle, and um, Leao didn't have a good game. And that is when Milan have a problem because I'm not convinced that they have a great deal of attacking variety at the moment. And we should mention they're missing some options off the bench right now. So Chukwueze would be certainly one you would you would hope would make an impact in this game. He is injured at the moment. There's a couple others as, as well that I can't quite remember off the top of my head. But yeah, it was, it was a below par performance from Milan. And this group is so tight that this could be pretty costly because they are yeah. now sitting at the bottom on just two points. Uh, Graham... You mentioned Rafael Leao there. I'm having a hard time like crystallizing my thoughts on him, but I will do my best. I would love to hear what you think about this. I'm slowly after this game coming to the opinion that like he has like 20% still to develop or something like that. Uh, there is about Rafael Leao this like innate ability. We talk about it all the time. He has supreme technical ability. He has a ton of confidence. He has the physicality to handle challenges, but then take people on. But there were moments in this game, he has that shot in the first half that it felt like if he puts that on frame, it maybe goes in, and instead he puts it wide. And I feel like an elite, world-class attacker finishes that, or at the very least presents greater problems to the defense. And and it just feels like he's like lacking that final, like he's like a 9 out of 10, and he just has to like switch that little bit more on, and then he will become that elite, world-class player. And yeah. at times he's already there, it's just he's not quite there enough to push Milan over. And I feel like that was representative of a lot of the Milan players on the day. The way that I would describe it is when everything is in Rafael Leo's favor, when the circumstances are right, when mm. Milan's game plan is working, when the opponents allow him to play as, as, as he wants and he likes to, then Rafael Leo is one of the best wide forwards in Europe. When there's when there's an obstacle, when maybe the game isn't in his favor or, or the phase of, of the match is maybe going against Milan, that's where he seems to get... I noticed Matteo Benetti describing him as um brooding like he he can become quite yeah. kind of quite moody in matches where, when things aren't going his way and that's certainly um where i think he has some maturing to do but he's still an incredible talent but we didn't really see that in this match yeah and i think the difference between the level of rafael leao and the level of killing mbappe was one of the biggest things that decides this game and in some ways it's sort of a microcosm of the difference between psg and milan how many times have we said it now for milan either in, in Serie A or in the Champions League. Milan have had a lot of goalless games. So far, we keep talking about how this team had a good summer transfer window. I think it's very clear that even though they're unlikely to make the same Champions League run this year that they made last year, that they are a stronger team with more talent that happens to be somewhat injured right now, like a couple other teams in this competition. But I, I think we all would agree that they had a good summer transfer window, that they bolstered the squad, that they are getting better but they're not PSG. And part of that is because their best player in Rafael Leao is not a truly elite talent. He is a fantastic yeah. 1v1 dribbler. He is not elite at any other attacking skill. He's good at a lot of things, and he is elite at taking players on, but he is not the fully well-rounded product. And to be honest, at age 24, he's not likely to get that. Like, he's in his prime as a winger right now. He's got a few more years of that, and then his game is going to have to change as he ages and as his biggest advantage falls away. But you look at the other side of this game, the goal that starts the proceedings really in this game after a fairly quiet, if not dull, opening stages of the match, it's killing Mbappe's goal. It is a fantastic goal from Mbappe. He drives right at Tamori in the middle of Milan's back line, gets him off balance with a really nice feint to the left, and then a cut inside. And that cut, mixed with the speed and Tamori being terrified of getting beaten 1v1, even though there isn't much space in behind Tamori, all of Mbappe's tricks and his quick thinking in that moment creates enough space for Mbappe yeah. to then fire off a shot. He creates his shot on his own, which is such a rare skill for players in this game. You think about the elite strikers thriving off of off-ball movement and a good playmaker assisting them, right? Mbappe still can do those things. His movement is sharp. His, his work on the ball in open space is incredible. 
as is Rafael Leao's, but I think a difference between those two players, and I'm not mm -hmm. breaking any new ground by saying Mbappe is better, but I think it goes to show the difference in level between these two teams at a greater level. Mbappe's ability to, to sort of do all of those things, to check all of the attacking boxes, separated him in this game, it made that first goal happen, and it, it really put PSG in a position where they didn't have to look back in this match. Joe, thank you for drawing that connection because that is the the perfect way to explain it to me. You look at Mbappe and how he scores that goal and the panic he's able to create in in opposition players, specifically in individual defenders. And obviously a lot of that has to do with his just raw speed, but then also control with that speed. But just the way defenders sort of throw themselves at him and you can just see the tightness. You can see the panic. You can see the, oh no, I'm going to get posterized moment. And I don't feel like Leao was creating that. I think he is capable of doing that. And I think Agreed. Graham did a good job of outlining when he can versus when he struggles. But I think I had this like probably misguided, probably unfairly, but I had this idea that like this could be an Mbappe layout back and forth. They're both creating, they're both just all over the place and, and what a fun, exciting game this was. And instead I felt like we saw that next level difference from Mbappe and we didn't quite get that from Leao. Uh, Graham, before we leave this game, any nice things to say about PSG? Obviously, maybe we treat the Newcastle defeat as an aberration in this campaign at the moment. Yeah, perhaps the four-two-four shape was was gone from uh, from PSG setup for this match. They went back to the the four-three-three, as we've already covered. AC Milan weren't weren't very good in this match, but nonetheless, this is the sort of performance that makes me think PSG are going to be for real this season. And I've been burned before, so I'm not putting any <laughs> money on them just yet. But they have been very good in two of the three games they've played in the Champions League um, so far this season. The first half from PSG wasn't fantastic, but they always seem to have the, the edge and that became dominance in, in, in the second half. Um, when there was control, there was also energy. I thought Zaire Emery was fantastic in yes. central midfield with yes, his, his driving runs. I know his potential has been clear for a while, but I will probably remember this match as the match that Zaire Emery really announced himself as a bit of a future superstar. So he, he was, good. Yeah, he was the best player on the pitch. He's 17 years old. And he's already got um, a number of Champions League starts under his belt, 20 starts for PSG in total. And he is so important for PSG to stop them from falling into the habit of having possession for the sake of it. And Joe, you mentioned the, the Mbappe opener. The work from Zaya Emery before Mbappe creates the opportunity for the shot for himself is, is so good where he receives a pass on, on the half turn and then drives into space. And he did it. He did something similar for the third goal as well. And I think PSG need a player like that to make this a possession approach under Lucho work. They need someone in that midfield three who is willing to take a risk. And in this game, Zaya Emery was that player. I thought he was brilliant. Yeah, I, I would echo all that. He's so smooth on the ball and so comfortable, just 17 years old. And, and we talked about him, Graham, we talked about him in last year's Champions League, surely. Like he, he's been a part of this team and you mentioned it. None of this is necessarily new but the level that he is adapting to the speed of play, like the, the game of soccer does not play, does not get played any faster than it does in the Champions League. Like this is the highest level of soccer that exists on this planet. World Cups like are not at this level. Liga is not at this level. This is the peak, certainly for Zaire Emery right now. And he doesn't look out of place. Like that is shocking for a 17 year old, for him to be this good, so comfortable on the ball. And, and it's not just the on ball stuff, it's the off ball stuff too. If you go back and watch the 10 seconds leading up to his second assist of this game, assists can be misleading. I did a little tirade about that on Twitter earlier this week that people got angry about. Assists are, are not always very, very helpful as a statistic, but that's, I mean, he has the assist, but if you drop it back two more layers, the way he gets on the ball in the first place, just slipping forward into a seam, understanding the movement of his teammates, he's just so good. I, I think this guy's going to be a problem. France have these players just falling out of their couch cushions. Uh, Joe, I'd like to push back on you claiming he's uh, not out of place in this PSG side. He is a PSG youth product who's playing in the PSG first team. <laughs> I'd suggest he is out of place. Well played, Ryan. That's that's well Thank played you. on your part. I have no rebuttal. He's also from uh, Montreal, France, is how I'm going to pronounce that, which apparently means little monastery in Latin. Uh, didn't really ever occur to me that Montreal might be named after a French place, and now I know that it is, so there's my uh, daily geography lesson. Taylor's French. got his... French to Latin translate. I'm, what? How did you? Is this on Google Translate? How did you pull that out? Uh, a very quick click through of Wikipedia pages. Well played. Wow.
Taylor finding out that a French-speaking place has a French-speaking name of French-speaking origin. Is that what we're learning it's, here? It's more one of those, it's just like such a, a commonplace thing that I don't realize that there must be an explanation behind it. I'm just like, ah, oh, the city's just always been called Montreal. That's how it works. How, There's nothing else to it. So how do we explain that his first name is Warren? Like, his, <laughs> were his parents just a big fan of Warren Barton? Like no, that, Warren, G, Warren GM Warren Barton, I believe. Yeah, uh, sure. The, the, the fan, fan groups there. All right. His, his middle name is Regulators, don't forget. <laughs> what a tune, what a tune. Let's move on in Group F to Newcastle's 1-0 home defeat at the hands of Borussia Dortmund. Uh, heavy rain in this one. Felix Metcher with the goal. Um, Graham, this is interesting because Newcastle, I thought, were pretty good. Maybe not as intense as they were against Milan, but they hit the bar a couple of times. I thought they were still pretty good value for this one, despite coming away with uh, nil point, as they say in Montreal. So can I disagree to an extent? I no, enjoyed watching <laughs> I enjoyed watching Newcastle in this game, but I think that is maybe different to being good, if that makes any sense. So it was very, very open the first half. And I, I was surprised by Newcastle Newcastle's approach because even when they blew PSG away in their last game at St. James's Park, they were quite deep for periods of the match and quite happy to, to stay compact. And, and that foundation has been really important for them under Eddie Howe. But in this match, that same defensive structure, to my eye anyway, didn't seem to be there. And Dortmund made the, the most of this by just sending runners forward as often as as, as they could. Um, it's how they scored the goal in this game. And then Newcastle do have pressure in the last kind of 20 minutes. They are a little bit unfortunate in that they, they hit the woodwork twice, I think, um, in, in that period. So Dortmund were under pressure. Um, but even in those moments, I kind of felt like this was, we saw a different side of Dortmund that we haven't seen this season where I thought this was actually quite an intelligent performance, not something we've seen from them or said about them recently. They recognised that there was space in behind Trippier, who had the majority of his touches in the Dortmund half. They were quick to move the ball through midfield. And even, as I say, in those last 20 minutes, I thought Mats Hummels had a very good game up against Callum Wilson. I think the Isaac injury unsettled Newcastle where it seemed like they wanted to funnel a lot of their attacking play through Alexander Izak and when you replace him with Callum Wilson Callum Wilson is a good striker good goal scoring record but they are very different sorts of centre forwards so I thought things went against Newcastle a little bit um, but maybe not the smartest performance from them I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of the the kind of foundations that we saw from the AC Milan matches and the, and the PSG matches. Fair enough. Taylor, where did you feel both teams landed on the smartness index? Uh, I thought it was a, it was a pretty interesting open game. Uh, I think I l- lean towards Graham's perspective, although I think the standout moment for me was the goal, not surprisingly, but two little aspects of that goal. Uh, it is Nico Schlotterbeck making a critical play. Uh, he steps in, I believe he wins it off of Anthony Gordon. But if he doesn't, it's sort of, it's Newcastle countering uh, on... Uh, Dortmund, and when Schlotterbeck makes that play, if he doesn't step in and win it, I think it would then be a 4v1, and I'm going to guess Newcastle would have scored, but it's also the prime example of an opponent is weakest when they are caught countering, because when Schlotterbeck wins that ball and plays it forward to Julian Brandt, I think it is credit to him, but credit to Dortmund, to recognize that six players for Newcastle are now completely bypassed because of where that ball was lost. Schlotterbeck then makes a lung-busting run that I think is critical to this goal, not just because he gets the assist, and he does. He makes the overlapping run from uh, on Brandt, gets the ball, plays it back to uh, Mecha, who scores. But it's also that that run disorients the Newcastle defense because it's Guimaraes uh, tracking. Am I pronouncing that correctly, Nemecha? How would you all pronounce that? Mecha, yeah. Mecha? Like I can okay, roll the N and the M Thank into you. one another, I think. Oh, it's like, yeah, you start to say N, but then you say M. So yeah, like Mecha. There you go. Uh, yeah. Uh, Guimaraes is tracking him, uh, but then has to go help Lascelles because now there's a, a 2v1 overload out wide. So Guimaraes has to go try to make that play. And it's a credit to, Me- to Mecha that when, as soon as Guimaraes does that, mm. he just slows up maybe... 10%, but it's enough that that gap widens, and now he's in this bigger pocket of space, and within a couple seconds, you can see him sort of trying to do the, I don't want to give away my position, but hey, I'm open, hey, I'm open, sort of like wave and quiet call, and he ends up getting the ball and finishes, but the swiftness of the attack, combined with the step and then the run from Schlotterbeck, made that goal very easy on the eyes, in my opinion, unless you're a Newcastle supporter, in which case, probably the opposite. Hmm. Right. Uh, I echo all of that from Taylor and, and Graham. I think we're at the point with Newcastle in this new phase of them being owned by a nation where it's pretty clear that the easiest way to pick up something against Newcastle, or at least to frustrate them, is to sit deep. 
right? You think about the progression of them going from a team that is not one of the Premier League elite, and they, they very much are that now, to where they are today, and you sort of think, okay, when a team doesn't have as much talent, there are a few transfer windows in the past, you don't have to worry so much about them going through and, and causing you major problems. Newcastle have the talent to do that now. They have the quality to do that. Uh, Dortmund come out in this game, and they largely cede possession to Newcastle. Not all the time, and Dortmund are willing to play. Dortmund have their own problems, though, and they're not at the level that they've been in past seasons. So in some ways, it was a smart move for them in this match to cede some of the ball. And Newcastle, especially in the first half, the second half changed the tune a little bit. In the first half, they weren't especially dangerous. Like, they had a couple of moments because there was still real talent here. And Eddie Howe knows what he's doing from a tactical perspective. But I think we're at that time in Newcastle's latest chapter where we're going to see more and more teams, even good teams, like even teams that can play a little bit like Dortmund, go and, and sort of play the Uno reverse card and sit deeper and force Newcastle to break them down instead of the other way around. Yeah, I thought it was a bit individualistic from Newcastle in this yes. game. And that was probably a byproduct of what of how Dortmund's played. So the, 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 the goal, the Dortmund goal, I think is a perfect encapsulation of how there was that intelligent play from Dortmund in those uh, quick transition or, or counter-attacking moments where that goal was about, you know, a pass into a dangerous area or, or a, a counter-press moment, pass into a dangerous area, off the, ball, off the ball movement, then an excellent pass, then an excellent finish. By the way, the finish was incredible. The way that it, he opens out his body and guides it. That's one of those finishes that looks very easy, but it's actually yeah. really, really difficult. Um, but that was a very smart, well-constructed goal Newcastle, in similar sort of moments, it felt like, okay, Anthony Gordon is going to run 30 yards with the ball and then try and bend one into the top corner. He's going to try and beat his man or someone's going to have a strike from outside the box. So there's going to be a cross into the middle. It just it just felt, as I said, a bit individualistic. That was, that was a big difference between the two. All right, PSG atop of Group F with six points. Dortmund in second with four. Newcastle also with four points. Milan bottom, oh, the group with two points. And the, uh, when these, uh, this group reconvenes in a couple of weeks, it's the reverse fixtures. So Milan hosting PSG and Dortmund hosting Newcastle. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, much more Champions League action. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willingly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Champions League Match Day 3 roundup. Let's go to Group A, Galatasaray with a 3-1 home loss at the hands of Bayern Munich. Harry Kane scoring and assisting, helping Bayern to maximum points in this group so far. Uh, Morakadi Telly with a 
Paninka penalty. Oh, it was tasty. Did you like it? I did. I did not like the overall result, though, because when you look at the underlying numbers, Galatasaray with a better XG, they had more shots. Uh, I think they even had more like clear-cut chances. So it felt like a game that could have been there, especially yeah. playing at home. You would assume it will be a slightly trickier tra- task or trask uh, on the road uh, in Germany. So it feels like a slight opportunity lost, which is an odd thing to say because I never really would have expected Galatasaray to win this one. Yeah, this group is is fascinating, first of all, and then I'll get mm-hmm. into some takeaways from this game. By Munich currently on nine points, they're going to be fine. The fight for second between Galatasaray and Manchester United, Galatasaray on four points, Manchester United on three, for these reverse fixtures over the next you know few match weeks is going to be fantastic. And I think this is going to have a lot of drama as we near. And that Galatasaray-Manchester United game that is coming our way is going to be a really, really important one. So I'm excited to see how this group unfolds. This game was crazy. Like, this game got me ready for the uh, the MLS playoff action that we saw last night. Like, it was chaotic. It was weird. It was wild. Galatasaray pressed so high. They pressed. They committed all of their attacking players and their midfield players up really high in the attacking third, basically. And then they had their back line kind of just defending not near ha- not near the halfway line necessarily, but like there's this massive gap between the end of Galatasaray's midfield and the start of their back line. They're not concerned about that space. They press, and they caused Bayern Munich some problems with that press. They were aggressive. They were energetic. They were winning the ball. Bayern Munich, though, still are absurdly talented. And we see some of the advantages in Bayern's approach and their quality and, and the edge that they have there on the first goal for Bayern Munich. It comes just eight minutes into this game. They don't start all that poorly, Bayern Munich, even though they give up a lot of chances in this match. It's Musiala who drives forward and finds space between the lines in that gap that I just talked about. Bayern smartly exploit that space. Musiala then finds Sané, who finds Coleman on the weak side of the box for the finish. Bayern are so fast, and pressing them is such a difficult task because if a player like Musiala, who is incredible, and USMNT fans got a good look at that not too long ago, if someone like Musiala finds space, he will expose you. And Bayern Munich exposed Galatasaray enough in this game. They don't get the go-ahead goal, the second one at least, until fairly late in the second half. It doesn't come from Harry Kane until the 73rd minute. Accardi's penalty equalized in the 30th, and there's lots of parity in this game. Galatasaray are fighting. They're creating chances. They're having success with the press. They're a good team, this Galatasaray side. I've been very, very impressed with them in the Champions League so far. Bayern Munich just had the talent, and they had the understanding of where the space was in in the, the Galatasaray press to go out and exploit it, and the talent edge was just enough to get them the win. I love that Icardi missed a penalty in the last game against Manchester United, gets another penalty in this game, and thinks, yeah, Penenka, that's what I'm going to do in this situation. <laughs> love that. That's strong, isn't it? I appreciate that as well. Well done, Mauro Icardi, for that one. Uh, should we go elsewhere in Group A for Manchester United 1? Copenhagen nil. Redemption arcs, Graham, all around for Harry Maguire and Andre Anana. Maguire with the goal, Anana saving the win with a penalty save in injury time in this one. Yeah, I'm okay with the Onana redemption art because I, th- I think Andre Onana is a very good goalkeeper. He's just had a difficult start to life at Manchester United. I, I am reeling, I have to say, from the, the plot twist of Harry Maguire being the saviour of Manchester United's season. Like, I didn't see that one coming at all. Biggest Because plot you think twist it should be McTominay? Is that what you mean? Well, you know, someone needs to do it other than McTominay on occasion. You know, he's had an off night and he actually gives away the penalty from which uh, Onana saves in, in, in stoppage time. But... I thought Man United were fortunate to get the win here, not just because of the the, the stoppage time save penalty, because even before that penalty, the, the balance of the match, certainly in the first half at least, was against Manchester United. I think the most startling thing about Manchester United at the moment is how badly they struggle to control matches because Copenhagen had big periods of this game where they, they were able excuse me, to get a, a foot on the ball, really dictate things at Old Trafford against Manchester United. I don't want to come across all kind of Roy Keane or, or uh, like Gary Neville here and no, you go can. on about it's Manchester United we're talking about. But that is still stark to me. Maybe it's just my generation, but a team like Copenhagen coming to Old Trafford in the Champions League and controlling possession as they did in, in the first half. And we've seen that so many times from Manchester United this season that I'm starting to wonder if it is by design 
if maybe Ten Hag is leaning fully into a counter-attacking style, the thing that makes me think it isn't deliberate is how easy it is to play through Manchester United when they have possession. And there were three or four occasions. Or is that also part of the plan, Graham? (laughs) (laughs) It's another wrinkle. It's a a triple bluff that uh, Ten Hag is playing. It's not leading to many match victories, but it did in this this case. Um, But there were three or four occasions in the first half in particular where Copenhagen played just one pass through and they were in completely in behind or in a one-on-one situation. Diogo Dalo in particular, he'd go completely missing. And we all know that Harry Maguire has a bit of trouble with uh, recovery speed. So against a better quality team, mine, it would have been sliced right open. But but right now it seems like their target is just to, to scrape through games. That's three wins in a row somehow. I'm not quite sure how they've achieved that. Uh, and I guess the hope is that it comes together somewhere further down the line. Yeah. Taylor, are you enjoying the paper that's being placed over the cracks at Old Trafford? Nope. Victories like this? No? No, that's it. Uh, Yeah, no, not really. And I think Graham laid it all out pretty well. I did really enjoy the Andre Onana penalty. It is telling that when he made that save, my immediate thought was, we're going to get a replay that's going to show he came off the line and they're going to retake it and score. That is how these these things have gone uh, for Manchester United. But we don't, and that makes me very happy. I'm glad for his redemption arc. I'm actually pretty glad for Harry Maguire to not be the full-on villain, because that did feel like he was becoming the scapegoat for a lot of the just general frustrations with the club, and I think those frustrations are well-founded. To go back to another point made by Graham, I I, I do think, and yeah, maybe it is like an outdated way of thinking, but for a club like Copenhagen, and I do not mean that to be disrespectful, it's just a, a statement of fact that you would expect them to go to Old Trafford and be sort of overawed, to be intimidated by the occasion, by that stadium, the way you would be the Bernabeu or the Camp Nou or Allianz Arena or whatever it may be. And I don't feel like that is there. There were times when I couldn't really tell who the home team was because the away fans for Copenhagen, who did a uh, There's Only One Bobby Charlton chance to start the game, Mm. which I thought was pretty great. Uh, They were pretty loud and pretty vocal, and the team seemed to play with a lot of confidence. And it's a negative result for them, obviously, getting that loss. But at the same time, to go there and control large portions of this one and have that opportunity late, not able to get the penalty uh, converted, but still, it was a closer game than I expected and still more worrying signs for Manchester United. Indeed. I did enjoy that Bobby Charlton chant from the away fans. That was a touch of class. Uh, uh, Hoyland playing against his younger brother, not technically yeah. playing against him. They were on the, uh, they shared a feel like I was... There's two of them, right? There's two yeah. brothers. So there's Oscar, just... who came on, and then there's Emil, who's Oscar's twin, who also plays Copenhagen, who was uh, knocking yeah. around Old Trafford. Uh, Which, that just says to me that... So you know when Manchester United cloned Haaland in the summer inside Rasmus Hoyland they forgot to turn it off and they're like turn it off turn it off us producing just can't stop producing Hoyland brothers let's just hope let's just hope it's still clones of Holland and it's not the fateful era of cloning the clone because we know that goes poorly and it, you get sort of <laughs> other we're already issues there, going on man, well, that's <laughs> right? there was already that gap between Holland and Hoyland I can't imagine what the next gap is in the next oh gap. boy are you telling oh me boy. that Man United signed the clone of the clone Joe is that what I'm hearing I'm just telling you there was a big gap between the original and the clone there were some problems I think in that process yes <laughs> well I think the issue is, is for the Hoyland parents who are at this game if they are at this game because they couldn't have half and half shirts they'd have to have like three quarters and a quarter shirt to represent <laughs> or maybe two thirds and a third well, I don't is, know how they're going to do it is the percentage weighed by like minutes and team importance right I mean if, if your youngest two aren't going to play do that how does that factor yeah. in is that a, I mean I'm not a parent I'm asking all, all three of you guys are parents how do you balance this I, under, I understand the Danish to be a practical people so I assume they've gone the Deion Sanders route of they have their favorite ranked child it. and they right. are actually yeah. ranked and he plays for Manchester United so right now he's, he's a, son number one yeah you support the best one come on <laughs> let's be real about this <laughs> All right, taking notes here. Uh, Bayern Munich top of the group with nine points. Do you, not, do you not rank your children every day, Ryan? That's that creates a fun competitive atmosphere. What are you talking about? I mean, how much of your dinner did you eat, darling? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. no treats for you. Galatasaray in four. In how did Ryan just points. talk at the same time? That's crazy. <laughs> United with three points. Copenhagen bottom of the group with one. Let's go to Group B. Sevilla one, Arsenal two. Gabriel Jesus with a goal and an assist in this one. Oh. Back to winning ways, Joe, for the Arsenal. Oh, man. that This play leading up to the Gabriel Jesus assist. Have all of you watched it? I need a simple yes or yes. no. If you have not, Graham says yes. Taylor's shaking his head no. Ryan is shaking his head yes. That wasn't quite a yes or no, but you know we'll make it work. Taylor, please look it up. The <laughs> chop on this play is absolutely unbelievable. Gabriel Jesus was sharp in this game for basically the entirety of his time on the pitch. But it's this moment in first half stoppage time. 
It's Arsenal clearing the ball out of their box. The ball comes to Gabriel Jesus, playing as the number nine. He's in a central spot, has a defender on his back, and one sort of closing him down from the front. So he's got a lot to figure out right now. How do I get the ball out of this situation? And his answer is pull out the most sumptuous chop you've ever seen in your life. He chops between the two players and then casually pulls out the through ball to Martinelli that sends him through Arsenal score, and it's 1-0 in that moment. I could not believe the pass was good. The chop is what makes this play to create the space to have a chance to play that ball in the first place. Gabriel Jesus was in his bag in this game. Then he scores in the second half, cutting inside from the left side of the box, gets the ball on his right foot, scores from a tough angle. He was feeling it in this game, and Arsenal, credit to them, they were the better team throughout basically the entirety of this match. Sevilla had chances, and they're a good enough team to have chances against basically anybody in the world. But man, the front line, the speed on the outside, Martinelli caused problems early and often in this game, and he gets that goal, of course, on the counter. But the speed on the outside mixed with Gabriel Jesus' goal-scoring ability and his playmaking ability, when Arsenal are all functioning at their best, they are really, really hard to stop. We already knew that, but they certainly showed it again in this game. Joe, I have now watched this clip, and I have one thing to say. You are calling this a chop, and the reason why you didn't get a loud exclamation from me because I had to watch it several times, that's a Cruyff turn, no? It, it, that, to me, looks like a definitive Cruyff turn, which makes it even better because I love a Cruyff turn. And to do that with two players on you and then play an inch-perfect ball, all of that is gorgeous. And no, I had not seen it, but I have now, and I'm going to keep watching it probably while other people talk. Let's keep watching it again. Okay, te- technical question. You're right. I'm watching it back now. It is It is definitely a Cruyff turn. Is a Cruyff turn... A, not a chop. Is this like a square rectangle situation? Like he chops um, the ball from one side of his body to the other. What's the difference? A chop is like if, when you feign to take a cross, right? You chop it from one side to the other. You don't kind of like flick it back through your legs. Oh, I think this this could best be described as a Hal Robson canoe from Euro 2016 for <laughs> Wales. That's, that's what there I'm calling this. There is no chance that is the best way to describe it. Um, <laughs> see, we run into further problems because I would say a cut is when you like fake the cross and then cut. Whereas I think of the chop as like the Ronaldo chop, that sort of like cutting it back across your other leg thing that he does that players do all the time where you use the instep to cut it back. That, to me, is the chop. Either way, it doesn't matter because it's a brilliant move. Yeah, setting the terminology aside, Cruyff turn is probably the most accurate term to use. Yeah, Well played to you, Taylor. I think chop would encompass a Cruyff turn personally. Either way, it doesn't matter. It is awesome. Go watch it. I'm still watching it on repeat. Can we say it's it's changing the direction of the ball at an obtuse angle? Is that a good way to technically describe? You You can't if you're a nerd. Well, I am, and I did. Thank you. There we go. All right. Uh, anything more, Taylor, on this game? Uh, no, I just have more personal insults for you, but I'll hold those for later. Okay, thank you very much. Much yep. appreciated. Uh, elsewhere in this group, alone with a 1-1 draw with PSV. Alon not stealing the sunshine of PSV in this one. Another 90s reference for you there. Thank you very much. Uh, this had the goal <laughs> of the round in it, though. Uh, Eliwahi, uh, the equaliser for Lon was... Uh, it was like a volley from across. I don't know if you guys have seen this one. Isn't it's a Zlatan-esque finish. Uh, CBS highlighted it, I believe, as their goal of the round as well. If you haven't seen that one, check it out. It wasn't a chop, more of a Zlatan flick. Let's call it that. <laughs> Uh, Arsenal with six points at the top of the group, Long with five, Sevilla, then PSV, both with two points in this group. Over to Group C we go, where Braga hosted Real Madrid. Braga, Graham, is a stadium with like built on the side of a mountain, isn't it? Which is uh, yeah, I first the noticed quarry. it. The, that's right. I think it first came into my uh, uh, mind in Euro 2000 was the first time I'd seen that stadium. 2004. That's, 2004. That's, yeah. that's the one. Yeah. yeah, this is it's the most the pedantic episode we've done in a while, and that is saying something. <laughs> yeah, that's our brand. Uh, as, I, actually, what I was saying was, while I was watching Euro 2000 in Greece, I was admiring the stadium in Portugal. Thank you. Right, sure. Okay. <laughs> Euro 2000 was in Belgium and Netherlands. But anyway, you oh can think it's in Greece if Greece you want. Greece won it, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> Make it stop. <laughs> no, hang on. No, Greece won in 2004, didn't they? Yes, they Goodness did. You're me. getting very confused. Let's, let's strike all of this from the record and carry on. <laughs> Anyway, let's talk about the match. Uh, classic Real Madrid performance in, in Europe where you're not really sure if they actually played well, but they, they pretty much had all the best moments. Uh, it was a 4-3-1-2 shape from Real Madrid, which has become their default this season. And that actually allowed Braga to have a good amount of the ball to to um, uh, to, to draw. Uh, Real Madrid were drawing them out and then they get in behind and they had Vinicius and, and Rodrigo to do that. They combined for the first goal, which... Featured some brilliant close control by Vinicius at the byline. I would recommend checking that piece of skill out as well. And then Rodrigo also had a goal disallowed for a a Vinicius offside where they were both offside as they were released clean through. It was quite a high line from Braga at times, which was certainly a choice considering who they were playing against. But yeah, this was an archetypal Real Madrid 
performance right down to the customary Jude Bellingham goal in mm. this game. And I am looking forward to the classical this weekend. Can't be stopped, Taylor. He can't be stopped. It's uh, crazy. Classico, he's going to dominate, I imagine. I, I put that in the, the show notes of like, and Bellingham scores before I even checked to see if he had, just sort of jokingly assuming he did. And then he did, which is kind of crazy. It is wild how good he has been for Real Madrid and how just critical of a performer he has been. It is also strange, maybe not that strange, but strange enough for me. Joe said about Bayern's uh, victory earlier, Bayern's overall quality wins out. And I really usually in Champions League games, we get at least a few surprise results. This round, more than most, I, it, f- it feels like felt like the dominant team ended up winning, even if it wasn't in emphatic fashion. We had Barcelona uh, get past Shakhtar Donetsk. Spoiler. We had PSG over Milan. Um, we had Man City, like kind of making relatively easy work of young boys. Uh, Bayern doing the same to Galatasaray. Like just the overall quality of Manchester United versus Copenhagen, if you want to give them that credit, I'm not sure we should extend it that far, but it felt like all of the names sort of had the results that you would expect. It did indeed. Jude uh, Bellingham was... amongst them as well, obviously. Yes, he is amongst it. Very much so. Union Berlin with a 1-0 home loss, or not quite home, in Berlin loss to Napoli uh, elsewhere in this group, in Group C. Uh, Giacomo Raspadoro with the goal for Napoli. Union. Uh, or on a nine-game losing streak in all yeah. competitions, Joe. Wow. Yeah, I think we're seeing some of their fortune from last year start to dissipate. They have an incredible season. Last season, uh, they outperform a lot of their their numbers, and they have a really nice year, and it's an incredible experience for them. Now they are coming back to earth a little bit in all competitions. I think you can see that they're a little bit out of their depth in the Champions League in terms of the quality of this squad. It's not a bad team. By any stretch of the imagination, there's real quality in here. And from a USMNT perspective, it was fun to see Brendan Aronson start in this game, even if he didn't have a massive impact. But it's not just an Aronson thing, right? This is a Union Berlin thing. They don't create hardly anything in this game. They have shots, but the vast majority of the shots between both teams in this game were from outside the box. I believe nine of the 17 shots that took place in this match came from outside the 18, which is a big ratio and is uh, a sign that neither team was creating a ton of high-quality chances. It ended up being Kavardana who worked a bit of magic in this one to actually get Napoli that 1-0 win. He drives to the end line, just dusting the defender on the right side of Union Berlin's back line, gets to the end line, and cuts it back so calmly. Like, Kavardana is completely unfazed. It's like the game was moving five miles an hour slower for him than it was for anybody else on the field at this particular time. He gets to the end line, cool, calm, and collected, plays a cutback with the outside of his right foot, just totally unbothered. It's a simple assist. It's a nice goal from Napoli. They win this one 1-0. One Not a lot, though, that I imagine will be remembered from this game. All right, fair enough. Graham, any more on this one before we uh, take a break? Nope, I think Joe pretty much covered it. A familiar story for Union Berlin, who, as he says, looked uh, pretty toothless throughout the match. They, I think a lot of people expected a correction. Yeah. Uh, Joe mentioned, mentioned the underlying numbers. They were always o- overperforming those numbers over the last two seasons. But wow, this has been quite the correction. I'm not sure I expected them to flatline this much. Indeed. Real Madrid top of the group with maximum points. Napoli on six. Braga with three. Union Berlin, zero points in Group C. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the aforementioned feisty one at Parkhead between Atleti and Celtic. Uh, We're going to talk about Man City's players getting a taste of their future MLS careers by playing on artificial turf as well. Back shortly. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking Champions League. Let's go to Group D, where Inter had a 2-1 win over Salzburg. 34-year-old Alexis Sanchez scoring his first goal since returning back to Inter Milan. Uh, Anyone catch this one? Yay? Nay? No? Cool. Right, let's move on. Nay. Benfica also with a 1-0 home defeat to Real Sociedad. Uh, That leaves Group D with Sociedad leading with seven points. Inter also on seven. Salzburg on three. Benfica, one of the teams who are yet to get off the mark shall we take it to group e celtic 2 atletico madrid 2 pretty feisty as i've mentioned in a different voice many times already on this podcast the first champions league point of the season for celtic is it because celtic uh, are green and yoda's green i'm trying to find the connection is is that what it yep. is ryan <laughs> i think i just saw a bbc report describing it as feisty and that's the only voice i hear that word see in, the in thing is the the British reference here is you're doing the in-betweeners impression, aren't you? That's what yeah. that is. That's not actually from Star Wars. Is it not? No. Oh, <laughs> That's my God. what Will and the in-betweeners yeah, does. It is. 
Wow. Okay. So my, my wow. I'm way off base Joe, with so were you, many things today. Were you as confused as I was? Not, not just because of the voice, but because Ryan then connects the word feisty to Yoda. Is that a word we've ever heard Yoda say, or is Yoda, that the to be honest? Thing? Yoda is kind of feisty when he pulls out the lightsaber, but I mean that's like two percent of his time on screen. So yeah, I just didn't get just it. Yeah, so maybe a little cool. bit more feistiness, and he would have noticed the arch villain standing one foot next to him. But whatever, it is possible. Whatever. You know, yeah. It is possible. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I believe there are episode one deleted scenes where he talks about feistiness. He's got a little soliloquy about it actually yeah cool all right graham simeone won't shake hand will he not there you go what's happening about the game Yeah, and it was actually a very good game i thought this was the best match of the the entire round to be honest because it genuinely had everything you had celtic imposing themselves on a on a top level opponent so you have an underdog thing going on there it was very entertaining to watch in terms of their approach. So Matt O'Reilly is a, a, is a serious talent for Celtic. I can't imagine he'll be there for much longer. He was drifting around the midfield and Kyogo's movement was was pulling the Atleti defenders out of position like he did for the first goal. And Celtic in that first half, they're playing at 100 miles an hour. Then you had Atleti thrown on Marcus Llorente and the dynamic flips and it's Atleti imposing their game on Celtic. And they're the ones drifting and finding space and looking creative and dangerous. There's a red card towards the end with Rodrigo de Pau. There's an incredible home atmosphere, as you would expect, with uh, Celtic Park. There's the usual Atleti poop-housery, including Simeone literally pushing his medical staff onto the pitch to waste time near the end where they're down to 10 men and he just he just <laughs> wants a draw. Then you have the Simeone and Rogers awkward non-handshake at full time. Yeah, this was a great match. This was this was uh, peak Gazprom. Oh, man. Brendan Rogers, <laughs> similar... Peak Gazprom. Similar to George Costanza, like driving home after being insulted and remembering and then like coming up with his uh, retaliation that he wants to say. That's what I picture Brendan Rogers doing on the way home after this one, because you could see the way when the handshake does actually happen. And Simeone's like, what? Who are you? Whatever. Anyway, I'm going away. You could see Rogers like have a like just try to like swat him a little bit and tried to do something. And I guarantee you he drove home just still annoyed by how that played out and how that looked for him because it didn't look particularly strong. This, here's the thing with Simeone, right? This has been a talking point before yeah. when Liverpool played Atletico Madrid because what Simeone does is normally he sprints down the touchline mm-hmm. at full time. He he says uh, goodbye to nobody. He's just away. And so actually he was he, he did something a little bit unusual here where he's making, he's doing like Italian hand gestures. I'm not entirely sure if he's picked that up from I, his, his, his son or whatever. I don't know, playing in Serie A. Yeah. But he hangs around for a little bit, which gives Rodgers the opportunity to at least present the handshake and Simeone obviously is not used to being in that situation and kind of gives him a half handshake before going down the, the tunnel. So, yeah, we have seen this sort of thing with Simeone before. It, it yeah. was the facial expression of like, who are you? That It was just the flash from Simeone that looked bad. I am led to believe that that was him gesturing to the officials. What the F was that was what the... Uh, the gesture was meant to imply because he was not too pleased with the officiating. Graham, is there anybody on Celtic that you were particularly pleased with when you watched this game? Anybody that stood out as being maybe a leader amongst men? Uh, like best players? Like anyone who... Like maybe like a heroic center back who probably deserves oh, most of the credit going. for this See, one. I knew, I knew <laughs> that wasn't a, a standard question about who the good players were. So Cameron Carter-Vickers, is that Oh, it was him? Okay, here? cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, he was, th- this was one of his better performances because this season he actually hasn't been as, as up, to the, up to the standard Careful. of the last two Slander. seasons. So, uh, yeah, he, he was good in this game. A uh, number of good Celtic players. Kyogo, I've, I've got a soft spot for Kyogo because I just enjoy watching him play and his movement. And the other thing with Kyogo, I mentioned this in the last review that we did, he's not really done it in the Champions League before for Celtic. So I kind of feel like I have to convince outsiders that he is actually really good. So I feel like a sense of vindication that he's now scoring goals in the Champions League this season. Great. Do, do Celtic have a particular connection to Japan? Because I think, uh, like... Going back to Nakamura, like I feel like there's a long connection of, of Japan to Celtic, but you have three Japanese players starting in this one. Yeah. Is there just like a, a an established scouting network? Uh, yep, his name was Ange Postacoglu. Oh, okay, there we go. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, previously, I don't really know. Like Nakamura was a bit of an outlier. They signed mm-hmm. Nakamura. He became Celtic for a while were genuinely popular in Japan because of Nakamura. I think that's a bit of an outlier. But recently, all these like Hitate, Maeda, Kyogo, Iwata, there's a good number of them. Um, that was due to Postacoglu coming from the J League and kind of knowing where he could find value. 
Fantastic stuff. Elsewhere in Group E, final with a 3-1 win over Lazio that puts them top of the group on six points. Atleti with five in second place. Lazio on four. Celtic with their one point at the bottom of the group. Uh, let's go to Group G, shall we? Young boys with a 3-1 home defeat at the hands of Manchester City. Akanji and a Haaland brace at the Wankdorf. Artificial surface, which mm. was displeasing for Pep Guardiola, he said before, during and after the game. Um, Graham, Graham, perhaps this game wasn't as flattering to Man City as the scoreline suggests. It was 1-1 after 52 minutes uh, when Young Boys equalised. Um, yeah, maybe they, it looked like City were coming out of the blocks pretty hard, but were trying. it was like they were trying to get their homework done as quickly as possible to like get yeah. back, basically. So I was second screening this one, to be honest. I didn't, I didn't have my full attention because you just kind of know City are going to play in third gear and get the three points. And that's that's kind of what they did. I felt like if they had been really pushed in this game, they could have gone another gear or two higher. Um, it was similar to the game against Red Star, which I would say City dominated more, but you just kind of always, even when Red Star scored in that game at the Etihad, <laughs> you just knew City were, were going to have enough. Um, the goal by, the, the young boy's goal by Meshach at Elia, what a goal that is! Yeah. I might contest Ryan that that's the goal of the round because yeah. it's it's so unusual. It's it's uh it's it's very reminiscent of an Abubakar scoop, like the Abubakar scoop we saw at the oh, Qatar World Cup. Yes. And in my opinion, there are just not enough goals like that. I think it might even be even more aesthetically pleasing than the Abubakar one because you know that way where it goes in and it, it hits the net before it hits the ground. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm. Like those are always very aesthetically pleasing goals. And that's what the big scoop does. It hits the net before it hits the ground. So yeah, go all around for me. I also feel like maybe it got higher, like vertically higher, the arc of the scoop, possibly this one mm. as well. It was very pleasing, as you said, Graham. A yeah, but shot. City were dominant. I've got a wee stat here for you, Ryan. Uh, young boys have never kept a clean sheet at the Wankdorf Stadium in the Champions League. Leave some silence. Leave some silence. Excellent. Thank you very much for that stat, Graham. RB Leipzig with a 3-1 win over Red Star in this group as well. A couple of 3-1s in Group G on this eve. So City leading with uh, maximum points here. RB Leipzig on six points. Young Boys with one and Red Star also on one point. The final group to discuss today is Group H. Uh, Antwerp with a 4-1 home defeat at the hands of Porto. And Barcelona with a 2-1 home win over Shakhtar. Uh, Ferran Torres with a goal and the assist to maintain Barcelona. Barcelona's perfect record. Um, what did we make of this one, Taylor? Did you catch it? I did not. Graham, what did you make of this one? Did you catch it? <laughs> nope, but I think Joe did. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> Joe, what did you make of this one? I raised my hand for you, Ryan. It still didn't matter. <laughs> I, I enjoy Barcelona in this game. I made sure to catch this one because I do enjoy me some FC Barcelona. Injuries continue to be a problem for them. They're still missing a bunch of players, and we're seeing second choice or third choice guys in a number of different spots. But they get the 2-1 win over Shakhtar here. They go up 2-0 before the end of the first half. They dominated the first 45 minutes of this game, really. You mentioned Fran Torres, who was good in this match playing on the wing. The player that really stood out to me, though, was Fermin Lopez, who's not a player mm. that I, I think I'd watched much at all before. 20-year-old, you know, has been in the Barca system for a while. He's playing on the right side of central midfield in this game. He gets the second goal for Barcelona in the 36th minute, but he's involved Rocket. in both of these moments. So the first one... He runs into the box, he finds space, gets on the end of a pass from Ilkay Gundogan and shoots, and it hits, it's a thumping shot. It hits off the woodwork and then falls to Ferran Torres for the goal. And then the second strike for Barcelona, the one he actually scores, Lopez, he bursts forward out of midfield and hits a banger that just kisses off the inside of the woodwork and into the back of the net. His strikes were fantastic. Like the, the, the shot technique on both of those were really, really nice. But even more so than that, like you guys know me, I've said it a thousand times. I care more about the spots you're getting into than if the ball is always finding the back of the net off your foot. And he was finding a ton of really good spots in and around Shakhtar's back line in this match. I thought Lopez brought a lot to this game. I'm not sure if he's going to be like good enough to push himself into serious minutes this season when Barcelona are fully healthy. But in terms of you know continuing the audition process a few hundred minutes into this year for him, it was a really strong performance. And Barcelona in general didn't seem terribly troubled in this game. Yeah, interesting lead into the Classico, of course, happening this weekend, Joe. Robert Lewandowski, I think, uh, last time I saw, was a game-time decision for that one. So mm. we'll see if uh, Ferran Torres gets a start uh, in that one as well. Very interesting indeed. Lots of empty seats, by the way, at the Olympic Stadium. I don't know if anyone saw this, but not just at the bottom where they had like the advertising hoardings, but I noticed a lot of empty seats. Uh, Graham, is it right that the Olympic Stadium is a bit trickier to get to for fans, basically? 
Yeah, it's at the top of a mountain. Yeah, it literally so, is, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think there's particularly great like public transport. I think you literally have to walk up the hill to get to the stadium. So I yeah. think the novelty of it has worn off for Barcelona fans. They're like, oh, I'll catch you in three, se- three seasons' time when you're back at the camp. Yeah, at least it's not long to go. Oh, wait, yeah, quite a few seasons to go at the Olympic Stadium for Barcelona. Fun times. All right, I think we have Champions League reviewed very nicely, gentlemen. Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much for your time and efforts here. Uh, thank you, my friend. Not thank you to Joe for talking me into getting hyped about the Sporting KC game, which I did watch. We Ooh. had two MLS playoff games last night. Uh, credit to the Red Bulls. Ryan conveniently skipping that one. I wonder why. Uh, <laughs> and then credit to Sporting KC for getting the win uh, in a shootout. Joe, is that the happiest you've ever been that we had no extra time? So to fill in context, yes, I am extremely happy about no extra time and also pleased about the result. Not because I have anything against the San Jose Earthquakes, but because David Goss and I yep. are locked into yep. a tense bracket <laughs> challenge. And because I kind of <laughs> shot myself in the foot with my overall macro draft strategy, I had a lot riding on this wild card game to the point where Goss says if I if I'd lost yeah, and, and the Quakes had won, I think he's wrong about that he math. Is. I'm not totally sure I get it. But either way, I was going to be in a big hole. And uh, thankfully, Sporting Kansas City pulled through. I believe that is seven consecutive shootouts for Sporting Kansas City that Tim Melia has won. That is absurd. Players talking after this match about how they feel so confident going into penalty kick shootouts because they know they have Tim Melia in goal. Like, they're not even worried about it. They're so unbelievably confident that they can count on Tim Melia for a big save. And that's exactly what he brought. Christian Espinosa takes the penalty. Tim Melia gets down, makes that save. SKC pretty much in control of that shootout from the start. The game was not a good one. I would not recommend folks go back and watch it if you're not a fan of Sporting Kansas City at this point. But overall, uh, I think we saw the best two teams advance. The Red Bulls were clearly better than Charlotte. Sorry, Ryan. And uh, Sporting Kansas City, I think, was the better team even in regulation in that game. Now on Saturday, we can bring on the actual games. Indeed, Joe. Uh, My my plan to skip over the MLS players has been uh, cruelly foiled, but why don't we dig into it a little bit more? Um, the, The Charlotte performance, Joe, I've seen some bad Charlotte performances this season, but particularly that first half was, it looked rudderless. Uh, It it was, some of the defending was quite astonishing and the lack of sort of changes after going a goal or two down was pretty concerning also. Yeah, I I mean, everybody who listens to this show, all three of you guys know how much I love to dig into tactics. And and I think tactics are a, a critical part of the game. I don't think you can really talk about a game fully without talking about some of the tactical approaches and things like that. In this game... Red Bulls come out in their 4-2-2. Charlotte FC are in their pretty fluid possession shape. They're in their... It was more of a, a 4-4-2 defensively from them in this game. But, you know, all of those things were a part of the match. But it felt like they all took a back seat to the lack of energy that Charlotte came into this game with. Like the Red Bulls, everybody knows what the Red Bulls are going to do. They press more than anybody in Major League Soccer. That's not just an idea at this point. That is factual. If you look at the numbers, they press more than anybody. They play with so much intensity. They're going to hunt for every 50-50 ball. And Charlotte just looked disinterested. Like, they could have had opportunities to work the ball through. They work on their build-up shape a ton under Christian Latanzo. You can tell when you watch. They're, they're drilling those rotations. Players know what spaces to be. But it didn't matter if Andrew Privet knew to go step into midfield or if the fullbacks knew to stay back in the back three. Like, none of that mattered in this game because Charlotte could never progress the ball and they could never win it back. It was, I think on Twitter I used the word abysmal. It, it really was abysmal for Charlotte. And I, I don't take any pleasure in saying that. I don't have anything against Charlotte. Ryan, for your sake, I would have hoped that they'd done better in this game. They just did not show up in the first half. The second half was a little bit better, but the Red Bulls ran them off the field with a, a, a nice bit of finishing luck as well. But the Red Bulls were the dominant team in this game. Defending was optional for both sides for bits and pieces of this match, but Charlotte <laughs> never put themselves in a position to get anything out of this game in the first place, and it, it was an embarrassing performance from them. Good night for my boy, John Tolkien, though. Yeah. That's what I'm here for. What a free yeah. kick, Graham. Did that Did that make waves? Were you sleeping? You're probably sleeping at that time. I was yeah? sleeping, yeah, but it was honestly the first like thing the when first you wake thing up. that yes. I saw when I woke up. So yes. the, 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 the Threads algorithm is working because it was, yeah, it was served to me on a plate and it was well uh, quite the beauty of a free kick. It was well, a phenomenal the- free kick from John Tolkien. If you haven't seen that listener, go watch that one. It's really, really clean. The left-footed strike comes after the Red Bulls run the ball right down Charlotte's throat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the most disappointing part of the night for me, Joe, was I tweeted uh, the Tolkien free kick out with the caption, Tolkien colon Lord of the Pings, and uh, <laughs> it didn't do very well. I, one of my best tweets, and I it barely got anything. That's not I bad, was... Ryan. That's not bad on your part. I might go back and like oh, that my. now retroactively. That's, that's a good moment from you. And I, I am sorry. I'll do one quick thing on Charlotte's entire season. There is so much work to be done here. Not on Ryan's... Twitter or social media game. It's fantastic. <clears throat> but on Charlotte's <laughs> season, 
I, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. Every single line of the field needs help. Like every single, maybe outside of the striker position group, but every line of the field, the defense, the midfield, the attack, like they need reinforcements and high level players in all of those positions. I know they faced adversity this year before the season even started. And I have a ton of respect for Charlotte getting through that difficult moment early on in the year when Anton walks, you know, tragically passed away. All of those challenges are very real for this team. Uh, it does not fully, though, explain to me some of the decisions they've made on the sporting side. Christian Latanzio's tactical choices. I think he could be a good coach, to be honest with you, but he made the wrong decision to turn this team into a competitive product. I think if you give him a good group of players, he might do good things. Like, he wants to play like Pep Guardiola. He's been in the City Football Group. He used to coach with Patrick Vieira at NYCFC. But with this group of players, a team that is not good enough, player for player, against 90% of Major League Soccer... It does not make any sense, the, the the approach that he chose. He put his team behind the eight ball from before this game even started against the Red Bulls. And really before this season even started, there were no changes. There was not a willingness to say, we cannot compete like this and go out there and win games. So many problems from the sporting side, from the player identification side to the tactical side. I, I do not know what of those things Charlotte can fix before next season starts, but it, it looks to me like a long road to being a legitimate contending team in Major League Soccer. Yay. Sorry. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> I'm excited great. for David Tepper to like selectively hear certain parts of that and hear uh, every line of the team, high level talent, credit to them, <laughs> good group of players, legitimate threat to the playoffs or something Manager like that. Manager like Pep Guardiola. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> D- David Tepper does not know who Pep Guardiola is. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's wrap it up there. Taylor, once again, thank you for your services on this part. Uh, my pleasure, Ryan. My pleasure. Graham Rutherland, pleasure as always, my good man. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And Joe Lowry, thank you so much, including that little MLS wrap up there at the end too. Yeah, sorry about that, Ryan, but I am going to like your tweet right now, so hopefully that makes up for it. Oh, engagement, baby. That's made a smile appear on my face. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, listener, for joining us on this podcast. We'll be back on the feed very shortly, but for now, bye. Bye, Steve.